Recording in progress. Here we go. My name's Todd. And this is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 724. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. <clears throat> there goes my, my voice. <laughs> and always remember our motto, which is the best predictor of a child's well-being, is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, we have a good friend of ours. Her name is Millie She. I'm going to give you some applause, Millie. <laughs> and I just told Millie about seven minutes ago that she was going to be at our podcast. So she's completely unprepared. But we, Kathy and I decided, Millie is in a friend. A, we first met you at the Zen Parenting Conference. Were you at the first one? Not with, the first with one. I, I was part of the uh, the Kickstarter campaign. Okay. So I've been oh, listening thanks. to you guys since like two years in. Yeah. So how long? So that is eleven years. Yeah. So Millie's been with us probably as long as almost anybody. (laughs) Yes, and she's um, part of Teen Zen, which is our virtual community. So G member. Yes, Yes. absolutely. Read that thing that I sent you. Oh yeah, Millie. I think we came up with a way to describe Team Zen. This Mm. is our this is our new thing. Join the circle, which is the Team Zen membership platform. It's an app with Zen Parenting Radio's complete parenting content collection plus live talks all in one place. Our complete mm, parenting content collection because Millie, we uh, so Millie's on Team Zen like she said she's been around forever and we struggle to explain Team Zen <laughs> because there it not be, it, it, there's just a lot of little things on it that people, you know, it's hard to explain in a sound bite because yeah. obviously we have all the live talks which, you know, you are part of mm-hmm. and then we, but we also have these micro communities um, and you are a part of those too. So I'm totally putting you on the spot. Don't kill me. But what, like, what's your best, what's your yeah, favorite part of it? Or of the, one Zen. of your two favorite parts of Team Set? Oh, the community. Oh, really? I mean, just the access to that community. Mm-hmm. I mean, access to you guys, of course. Yeah. But just having this like minded community mm-hmm. that becomes another type of family. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I have become close to some of these members, right? That right. We, we've met, you know, at conferences and such. Um, and you participate in some of the micro the, communities, don't you? Yes. Yeah. Right. So there's there's the micro communities within the larger community. Right. Um, so you're you're asking what's the well? Yeah. No, I, I have to say the the community and the and the the fact that Circle now encompasses all of it. Mm-hmm. I can go to that one spot, mm-hmm. either on my app or or online, and um, get in touch with the people or find content. It's it's fantastic. So thank you for putting a circle Aww, together. Thank you. Well, we're glad you're part of it. Um, and you're a leader in the community. So for we sure. really appreciate you, Millie. So as far as calendar goes, I just yeah. want to say okay. we do have uh, some things coming up that might be interesting. We have a Differently Wired Families hosted by Millie She on August 25th. And Nikki Smith. And mm-hmm. Nikki Smith, thank you, Nikki, our New Zealand friend. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a separation divorce one on August 27th. And on August 31st, we're welping, welcoming Devorah Heitner. And she's the author of Growing Up in Public, Coming of Age in a Digital World and Screen-Wise. Yeah, that's like the other part that we never say. Well, we may say it sometimes, but we always, ha- every month, we have someone come on, an author or an expert or, you know, somebody who's in the parenting world, and they come in and do like a Q&A for everybody. And they're friends of ours, and or we're, sometimes we're meeting them for the first time. But last month, we had Hunter Clark Fields, who has a new book. Um, and then this month we have Devora. So and many more to come. There's just it's and like Millie said, it's just nice that it's on the app. Honestly, for me too, Millie, because we were struggling for yeah. a while with Teams on because we're like, how do we access everybody in one place? We're sending emails. We're using Facebook. So it's better now, isn't it? 
a thousand times. Yeah, yeah. a thousand and, times. And the fact that we and can get off Facebook. it's just the resource. That is the resource. I've told people about Zen Parenting Radio. I'm like, now you just go to this one place. It's your one-stop shop. And yes. we did not bring Millie in to um, talk about Team Zen. We actually brought... I, I'm bringing a topic to the table, and I thought Millie would be a good person to have the topic with, even though you don't even know what it is that we're about to talk about, which is <laughs> fine. It's like, no pressure. No pressure. She literally came over just to say, to say hi, hi to you because I happen you're... to be in town. Yes. <laughs> That's what I'm laughing about. She Ooh. literally said, hey, I happen to be in Oak Park. Should I, you know, can I come over and see you guys? We're like, sure. And then we're like, hey, we're doing a podcast. Yeah, come on. Jump in. So, Timing was perfect. So if you visit us, you're forced to podcast. Our girls will attest. Yes. Be very we aware. <laughs> Be, uh, but first, sweetie, you wrote a Zen parenting moment. Yes. And I ordinarily probably wouldn't include it, but you started with a quote. A lyric. A lyric. it is. What did you write about and why did you include this song? Well, I wrote about two things. I wrote about the fact that I do not like back to school time and I never have. If you've been listening to Zen Parenting Radio for, for the last 13 years or maybe even just two or three of the last 13 years, I am not a fan of this transition. I love fall and once I transition, I'm a fan of where we are. But this shift from summer to fall has always been very emotionally difficult for me. And this one this year has been a doozy because my middle daughter, um, we dropped her off at college on Wednesday. And I had a lot, a lot, a lot of anticipatory anxiety going into it. I think I started talking to my therapist about this in April. Um, and I really, it's a hard, I always describe it for people as a tunnel you have to go through where I know she's going to be okay. And I'm totally at peace with where she is in life. She's a very mature, responsible woman. And I know she's ready to go to school. It's not about that. It's about that I, um, you know, am, I'm going to miss her. It's a, it's a shift. Yeah. And I, you can't get, you can't be super psyched for them until you, for me, until you go through that tunnel of grief. Mm -hmm. And even though I think it's more extreme when your kids are going to college or moving out or doing whatever they're doing, working, moving to a new state, I think it's also hard when your kid goes to kindergarten. I think it's hard when they go to middle school. I think it's difficult when they go to high school. And then it's really difficult when they become seniors because you realize it's their last year. I know I'm not alone in this tunnel. I think there's a lot of us parents in there, but it's so emotionally, um, how do, what do I say? It's just, it's been a lot of work. And so I think in the last two days, you would probably say I've been better, wouldn't you very, say? Very much so. And yeah. just so everybody knows, we're going to be talking about anxiety today. Okay. And I'm going to give you guys, I'm not going to, I'm going to deliver a message I heard from Jack Cornfield, and I broke them up into these bite-sized clips, and we're going to be talking about each of the 30-second clips, okay. all right? So it's in terms of anxiety. But first, Millie, can you share how many kids you have and ages and all that stuff? I have three, um, 16-year-old daughter going to be a junior in high school 
And then I have twin 11-year-old boys who will be going to middle school mm-hmm. for the first time. So, yeah, I hear you on the anxiety. Yes. This yeah. is the first time they're going to be going to school, going to different classes and it's having just different, different teachers. Like, yeah, a whole bunch of different teachers. It's different. Yeah. And I think that kind of where it's never about will they make it because, of course, they won't. We'll figure it out. It's how it's that we have to look at things different. We have to pay more attention. The thing that I was really talking to Todd about a lot is I had a big grief thing about being a mom in that I have always felt that I am the last line of defense for my kids. And whenever I would talk to people about my daughter's going to college, they'd be like, she's going to do great. She's going to be great. She is. But I'm the one I I'm the one who has to pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. So everybody's depending on me. They're like, well, if anything was, you know, went wrong, you would help her or yeah. whatever. But that falls on me. Now, Todd, you know, would sometimes get frustrated with me because he's like, well, I am paying attention too, which you are, by mm-hmm. the way. This is it, it was never a slight on Todd. Like I was never like, you don't do anything. I do it all. That's not that was never my point. It was that it feels daunting, mm-hmm. just like your sons are going to middle school. You mm-hmm. have to pay attention. Mm-hmm. What, how is it different? How are they reacting? And it's this hypervigilance that I'm not a huge fan of. And when you've been a parent for 20 years, which we have now, you realize that that hypervigilance has been like on full blast for, mm-hmm. for two decades. Yeah. And it's, it's, it, when I say tiring, I don't mean like I'm over it. It's my, it's my work as a mom, but sometimes I'm like, Oh my God. It plus the grief of her leaving, plus the grief of her friends leaving and all these important people to her. It's just, in, it's intense. For sure. And you're, you're on the front lines yes. in a way that I'm not. That's how it feels. And you're the yes. last line of defense. Yes. So like, I, I don't know the military metaphor, I don't know if it's working, but you are the safety net. Yes. And you're also the one who's grieving the, the doing thing happening. a lot of the yes. heavy work. But, but if I were to like say, what's the most frequent topic that we've talked about in all the Zen talks or even on the podcast? I don't want to necessarily talk about your specific, maybe we'll use your specific example as we go through these clips, but just anxiety in general. Like, I don't remember having discussions in the 1980s and 90s about anxiety. (laughs) And then somehow this word became mainstream Mm -hmm. and I suffer from it. I judge that most people suffer from it. Um, We all have a different relationship with it, but it's like the most prevalent issue I think that we hear about. And can I just, you know, I'll be on your case about words, as sure. I always am. Instead of I suffer with it, I experience it, well, and I know what it is. Well, I think I think there's times when I suffer from it, yeah. and there's sometimes I experience it. And okay. we'll talk a little bit about that, all right? Okay. So Jack Cornfield was interviewed by a guy named Tim Ferriss, who's got a really famous podcast called The Tim Ferriss Show. And he breaks down... Um, He's telling Tim about how he would advise somebody who has a hard time, I'll say, suffering from anxiety. Okay. Okay. Um, and, and do you want to tell any more about Jack Cornfield? Because he's, he's like a meditation guru. He's like one of the most famous ones still alive, right? As far as when I think of guys who are most into meditation, he's probably top on my list. And he trained as a Buddhist monk. Yeah. Like he, you know, not only does he have the experience, and I think he, as you said, he was someone who brought, you know, all of this to the Western world, yeah. one of the many teachers. We had that like big influx of teachers who came 
you know, and brought meditation and to, to the West, you know, John Kabat-Zinn and, you know, um, but he was probably one of the first ones I actually listened to. Cornfield or? Cornfield. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I want, I just want to invite any, anybody listening to think about something that they're either anxious about right now or that they have really been anxious about in the past. Okay. So like, listen to Jack's words through your own lens, because I think it's a, and I don't think any of the things that he's about to share isn't things that we haven't said on this podcast over the last 12 years, but it's, he says it in a concise way that I think it's like somebody might take this podcast and literally like write it down and use it next time they feel overwhelmed with anxiety. Okay. Mm, Are we ready? So this first clip is about 30 seconds. And just so you know, he uses this term called Mara because he's talking about this whole old Buddha story. And in this case, Mara represents anxiety. Yes, okay? Mara. Mm-hmm. Do you know who Mara is? Yeah, I know the story. Is well enough to say anything about it or no? Um, no, but I remember a podcast I was listening to about that a lot of people name their children. You know, that's a girl's oh, name, Mara. Mm. And that it... So you play this and then I'll look it up so I can give you a really good All right, so here's the first 30 seconds. So Tim's saying, how do we, Jack Cornfield, teach us how to deal with anxiety better? Is that you, Mara, or I see you, Mara? And Mara looks and kind of sadly slinks away, if you will. So the first thing about anxiety is to acknowledge that it's entirely human, that there are cultural reasons for it, and that there are physiological reasons, that we have fear and we have fear of loss and all of those things. And to be able to name it and say, oh, this is anxiety. It feels this way in my body. Your hands sweat, your breath stops, your heart. And it's hard to feel. It's unpleasant in the body. And then it has its thoughts. We'll get to those in a minute. And what you can do in naming bar, you can say, oh, anxiety, I see you. I feel you. All right. Step one. So to backtrack really quick, in Buddhism, Mara uh, was uh, represented as a malignant celestial king who tried to stop Prince Siddhartha, so, you know, Mm -hmm. Buddha, um, from achieving enlightenment by trying to seduce him with his army and a vision of beautiful women who in various legends are often to be Mara's daughters. Got it. So it's like a, you know, using... temptation. Yes, a temptation or just holding us kind of hostage mentally. Um, So, okay, so... So, so what I love about this first clip is that he's like, Jack is inviting us to name it. And and for me, that's like a separation because f- when I feel really anxious, I feel like I am anxiety. Mm-hmm. I'm overwhelmed by this feeling and there is no discernment between Todd or, you know, the the essence of who I am and anxiety. It's, it's just anxiety. There is no Todd. It's just anxiety. Okay. What do you guys have any thoughts about the power in just naming it? I was just going to say, aren't, don't some experts um, suggest, especially with younger kids, to have them name this worry monster, mm-hmm. give it a name, yeah, so that it 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 is something they can then separate from themselves, as you say, yep. um, you know, Fred, yeah. <laughs> my worry monster, oh, he's here, mm-hmm. and you know, this is how I'm feeling, yeah, yeah, and because to dra- of Fred, yeah. to draw it. You know, what does Fred look Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. you know, and these are all things that we can do with kids when they're younger. So they really see it as separate from themselves. Mm -hmm. But then the, the, you know, the next layer is, you know, do you think Fred is trying to hurt us or do you Mm -hmm. think Fred is trying to help us? We're going to get into that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about Mm -hmm. it. Okay. But I, 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 I appreciate Millie, your prompt about naming it 
but I also want to just say this is not a kid thing. Like as as an adult, like I should, and maybe the name of my anxiety is simply anxiety, or mm-hmm. it could be anxious Al or something like that. But I think plus he also said in that clip that it's human, it's phys- physiological, right? But it's also cultural, and I think the physiological is is a normal piece. And the cultural is, you know, all the other baggage that comes around the way something is supposed to be. Um, so cultural meaning that we get anxious because something doesn't show up the way the yeah. culture says it should. Yeah. We're not achieving a certain way. We're not. Yeah, I feel like the cultural is the baggage, whereas the physiological is, oh, some, there's a threat out there yeah. and it's it's making my, my, my palms sweaty or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also love the fact that he's like, notice of how it shows up in the body and it's unpleasant. Well, that's what I wanted to focus on. So I, I something that is frustrating to me because it's the truth and because I struggle talking about it with people is that when you are sad or you are, and again, anxiety can have different levels as can right. sadness. And we could talk about, we, we you could insert sadness, anger, frustration with things. It doesn't matter what right. we're talking about. Well, and we try not to ever say negative emotions because that's not true. All emotions have purpose, but the emotions that are harder to feel, yeah. you know, the ones in our bodies Less that kind of make us go, oh, you yeah. know, like this is not comfortable. Um, when people tell me, they'll be like, yeah, I was really sad, but I took a deep breath and I moved through it. I'm like, well, then I don't think you've were sad. You were maybe had a moment of, I'm not saying they weren't sad. That's not fair. But sad hurts and anxiety is uncomfortable. And the, when you're in the midst of it, there's not a lot of higher thinking going on in the midst of it. Now you can have a good practice of now that I'm feeling this way, I know I need to take a walk or I know I need to sit or I know I need to have a big drink of water. Like I'm not saying your brain shuts down, but I think we try and breeze through these things that are just literally uncomfortable. Like, you know, we were just talking about Cameron leaving and I was not well. I also knew that it was, it made sense why I was not well. I wasn't nervous. Like, you know, and I also have struggled, uh, you know, historically I've had depression and I've had anxiety that felt unfounded and that can be even more difficult because you're like, I don't know what to connect this to. But in this situation, I understood, but it, it's not like I was like, yes. And then there was some, you know, a beautiful moment, like it sucked. And it took like talking to her one day where I was like, oh, I feel like she's, there's some stability where I was able to take a breath and I'm still feeling that way. It's just not as heavy. Well, when we were on the car ride home after we dropped off our kid at school, I was comatose. You were, um, you were crying. A lot. Right. Right? Yes. So you were feeling those uncomfortable feelings. Yes. Right? And I don't know, Millie, are you a crier? We cried Probably a lot during as... milk together, but I oh. don't. <laughs> I just looked right there. I can't I know. That's... I, I literally just went back to that conference. I know. I cried a lot. Um, I, I'm not a crier maybe quite as much as you, but yeah. I, d- I definitely can be set off fairly easily. And like there's different cries because like there is... So what I just said to Millie is about four conferences ago, we had a singer-songwriter named Milk, uh, which people may know her now. She's become a lot more famous, come to our conference and sing. And I think the whole room was sobbing because it was so of the time and so poignant and so personal. And somehow we were all her story, even though her story was so unique. Um and mm-hmm. she sings this song, I Can't Keep Quiet. And we have a sign in our um, 
podcast room that says I can't keep quiet that Millie is facing. Still a little clip there. She's amazing. Out of all the amazing people we've had at the conference, hers was by far the most impactful. Impactful. It's surprising. Yeah. Like I, I knew she'd be great. I had seen her at a conference before, which is how I met her. So I knew she was going to like, but I was like, geez, like I'm getting goosebumps right now. I mean, I mean, yeah. What was your experience of milk? When she told her story, I, I related to her story just personally as, as, um, a Chinese American. I, we literally had very similar um, experiences. I mean, not not some of the traumatic maybe mm-hmm. experiences that she had, but so there was that. You know, I related to her on that on that front. But her her music. I mean, I I knew that I can't keep quiet piece. But when she sang some of the other ones, there was one I remember. It had to. She was. She wrote about her dad. Mm-hmm. I think it was right, mm-hmm. and how you did the best that you could, mm-hmm. that you knew how, mm-hmm. kind of thing. I lost it. Yeah. I mean, I'm getting teary-eyed just thinking about it because... I think it was called Black Sheep. Was it called Black Sheep? You know, I don't remember what it's called. Neither do I. I just, I just remember that lyric of how they, they are parents. We, right now, just do the best that we can and that we know how. Yeah. And so I think when, when I look back at how my parents parented me, I have to have compassion. Yes. And if we have the aware, awareness, we can take the good that we want to take from what they taught us. And then the things that we didn't care so much for, we can set it aside. And, and sometimes it comes out still because sure. it's it's part of me already. And I have to, be, again, be self-aware enough to know that, okay, wait, wait, you don't want to do that to your kids. and <laughs> Because you remember, you remember, don't you, Millie, you know, how you felt when you were parented that way. Okay. Um, but again, the compassion, like we're all doing the best that we can yeah. Yeah. and that we know how. Um, so step one, uh, what, thank you for sharing, by the way, Millie. Mm-hmm. Uh, step one was to name it. Step two, we're about to listen to. So that's the first thing. And already you start to step halfway back from it as the witness. So that already begins to liberate you a little bit. And then the next thing is you can also say, Thank you for trying to protect me. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because if you fight against the anxiety, what that is is more anxiety. Oh, my God, I got a rid of it. I hate it. But instead, it's almost like you take a little bow. Okay, Mara, I see you. Thank you for trying to protect me because that's what it's trying mm-hmm. to do. And you remember that statement from Mark Twain where he said, my life has been filled with terrible misfortunes, most of which never happened, right? Mm-hmm. So these are the mm-hmm. stories. You meant sort of the advanced stories. Say, thank you, Mara. I see you. Thanks for trying to protect me. How many of us say thank you for mm. the anxiety? I don't know. I certainly don't. But I think mm-hmm. it's a, an, an important step to um, work through the anxiety. I think it's so important. Like, think about it. It's so paradoxical. Why would you thank this uncomfortable feeling in my body? But that's the only way to move through it, I think. Well, you know, remember we used to talk uh, many, many years ago about emotional vomit, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I used to, you know, because that was so 
it, it for me, it really captured not only for our kids when they're and, and again, for anybody who's new to listening, emotional vomit is just basically when you have all these emotions and they come out in a strong way. If it means that you like have a big cry or if it's that you get really angry, whatever, you're just releasing because if you see emotions as energy and they're moving through your body, they have to go somewhere. So I have a really good, you know, as a body emotions as a body work experience really helped me because the reason why anxiety and sadness are so uncomfortable for me is I know I'm going to have to throw up yeah. mm. and that I don't look forward to it. Just like people don't look forward to throwing up. It's uncomfortable. You, you're, you're choked. You're, you're out of control and nobody looks forward to that. Like, so when I, you know, I just remember a couple nights before my mom passed away, I remember being like, okay, you know, my mom was not in good shape at the end. So there is a sense of relief for her, right? There's relief and there is, you know, a moving forward and everything. But what I couldn't, why I couldn't sleep is I'm like the amount of emotional, like there's so many th layers I have to go through now, mm. you know, so much emotional vomit mm. and, and, and we don't get to control grief, we don't get to control anxiety. No. It comes up when it comes up. So and that's our problem. We start to try to control it. Right. But mm -hmm. when it comes up, sometimes we're not in a space to have that experience of letting it out. And we have to contain it for the moment, which can make it uncomfortable. Sometimes it surprises us. And then, Todd, I think you would say you get anxious when you don't get anxious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something's supposed to be happening and it's not happening. Yeah. I'm supposed to be... I try to control my emotions. Like I'm supposed to be sad right now. I'm supposed to be angry right yeah. now. I'm supposed to be joyful right now. Yeah. So you get so anxious. then I get jacked up about not having feelings, which yeah. is a feeling. What's what's your thing or things, Millie? What's the thing that makes you most anxious? Can you tap into that it, it with a word or an experience? The thing that makes me most anxious, my probably like you, Todd, my inability to control something. Mm-hmm. And of course, it usually has to do with my kids. Yeah. Right. Lack of control. Lack of control. Yeah. That makes sense. As so, and you know what? I think, it, so just to kind of put our stories together, the thing I was talking about front line of defense as a mom and, and dropping Cameron off at school and even, and I'm sending, I'm, I haven't even grieved. My, my older daughter is going to Italy mm. on Saturday. I'm like taking mm. grief one step at a time mm -hmm. here. I have someone else to say goodbye to. And I think that I... That is what I'm experiencing is I can't control all this anymore. And I got to watch them and kind of like I, I visualize myself with, you, you know, the balance beam thing. Yeah. You know, we always talk about this balance beam idea that when our kids are little, they're on a balance beam, we hold their hand. But then as they get older, we have to back up and let them be and, unbalanced and, and this, fall. And this week and last week, we've had to take multiple steps backwards. I'm almost in a different room. Yeah, you're in a different but room. But I'm still trying to watch them yeah. on the bounce beam because I don't want them to ever think support isn't available. Yeah. And a, Even and, though you've shared with them a bazillion <laughs> times, and support is available. As my therapist would say, Kathy, do they come to you and they're struggling? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So like, let's check that off like the list. Check the the butt is you're trying to tell your cellular memory your nervous system to do something that's hard correct to, that's your automatic response exactly yeah. it's your, so it's auto and did you Millie when you struggled as a kid did you tell your parents oh no see neither no did I. way so we're also working off of I didn't yeah and I was alone and again this is all very uh, you know 
million I love our parents. It's not about they weren't there for us. It's mm-hmm. about we didn't have that that kind of it was a different time. Mm-hmm. So then when when I'm watching one of my girls struggle, it's I'm running it through my system mm-hmm. and I'm thinking they probably feel alone right now. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. They probably feel like there's no but that's my system. Sure. You know, I did things a different way with them where they feel, and they don't just go to me. They go to my best friend. They go to my sister. They go to you. They go to my aunt. Like they have multiple outlets, but it's hard to feel that. I only feel myself. Yeah. Well, and then that's probably you're in your, not to go too deep, but that's your inner child somewhere, right? Yeah. You ready for step three? Well, first, did Millie, did you have anything else to say about step two? Because you, I see you write things down. Well, no, it's very organized. I, I like... I, I love that. Thank you for trying to protect me. Well, that is acknowledgement right there. But also to, I mean, that's in a way gratitude, <laughs> kind of spinning it in a way yeah. that, um, how do I want, uh, how was I trying to say this? Um, that there is a role, that you're acknowledging that there is a role for a, the, that anxiety be happening to you right yeah, now. Right. And it is a positive role, mm-hmm. right? Because you, it's trying to protect you. Yeah. So you just sort it's of spun it. this negative feeling. It just reframes into, it. It yeah. reframes it to yeah. a sort of something positive. So All that's, right. that's how I felt. Step three. Then the next thing is to know that there's something called the wisdom of insecurity, that it's actually okay to be insecure. My monastic teachers would say it's uncertain, isn't it? We could ask him all kinds of things. Tell me about enlightenment. My teacher would laugh. He said, it's uncertain, isn't it? He wanted us just to get comfortable with <laughs> uncertainty. That's, and then what happens is when you realize that you can't know, that you come back into the present moment. All right. So he talks about the wisdom of insecurity. What I got out of that section was just an acceptance of, of you talk about control, Millie, an acceptance that this is something that I'm experiencing right now and that it's okay that I'm experiencing it. That's how I, that's what I got out of it. Well, and that our control, when we want to control, we believe that we can make things certain and we don't have that power. I mean, I I always forget the subtitle in my book, caring 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 for for ourselves and and our our children children in an unpredictable world. So I use the word unpredictable, not not uncertain, but they're somewhat synonymous in that you, I, I was really at the heart of that book during COVID writing it. I mean, so that makes sense. Talk about unpredictable. Yeah. yeah. And the truth is, is everything is uncertain. You can put every, you can have the best laid plan and be so organized and have everything color coded and do everything. And there is no guarantee no. that it will end up a certain way. And you can also drop the ball in a million ways and things might go linear mm-hmm. and according to plan. So But that's super uncomfortable, I think, for everybody. But it's also so heightened in parenting because I bet, Millie, in the workforce, you had, you were very organized. Oh, (laughs) extremely. Quick word from our partner of the week, Coco Sleep, bedtime stories and meditations for kids. If you have children and find bedtimes a struggle, this is for you. Have you got kids who can't break away from their screens at bedtime? This is for you. Coco Sleep is a podcast of original bedtime stories and sleep meditations for kids. Content is delivered in friendly, soft tones, getting slower as the episode goes on to encourage sleep. 
There are over 200 stories and meditations to choose from with three episodes added every single week. I just listened to Potato and Beans meet Detective Hash Brown. It's a big mystery, sweetie. <laughs> and Detective Hash Brown is there to help out. Coco Sleep has helped improve over 10 million bedtimes since its launch in late 2021 and now welcomes 1 million listeners a month. So tonight, find out what the fuss is about. Subscribe to Coco Sleep wherever you listen to podcasts and start listening for free tonight. Just search K-O-K-O Sleep on your favorite podcast app. Make bedtimes a dream. And I still remember that the best piece of advice that a girlfriend who was a parent, you know, gave me when I became a parent or before I became a parent was you need to learn to be flexible. Mm. <laughs> um, understand and, and 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 let go of that control. Yeah, yeah. So you knew going in that you were going to have that to contend with. To contend with, you yeah. hadn't felt it yet. But no, you right. Knew. No, you, but you, I was given that that wisdom. Yeah, your to, brain knew, but it's one thing for the brain to know. It's nothing to be able to do what the brain mm. knows. Yeah. Are you a one on the enneagram? You know, I'm I'm a one wing two. One wing probably. two. That makes yeah, sense. That's what I've tested to be. Yeah. yeah. So for people who don't know Enneagram uh, one, it, it, sometimes they call it the perfectionist, but I don't really like that word. What, how would you describe a one? Just there's an well, organization to it. Well, unfortunately, I do use the perfectionist. <laughs> I, I, I don't I don't like to label it that anymore. I, I, I say I have a perfectionistic tendency. <laughs> Got it. Like it. I like it. Well, and like then it. to bring it back to Jack Cornfield, the per- the, um, uh, what's the word you just used is the perfectionist. Perfectionism. That's a part of you, right? Mm-hmm. So we could talk about anxiety or we could talk about your need to be perfect, but you should probably be thanking that one for wanting to be perfect because it's trying to protect you. Like we can use this in any version of ourselves that shows up, I think. Well, interesting you say that because I have now learned, say, just with the topic of perfectionism, there's perfectionism that gets you going that that helps you mm-hmm. and then maladaptive perfection right. oh yes for sure all of these can all be of maladaptive. These, right 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 so yeah yeah and that. millie mm-hmm. i mean again i don't know you know we've known each other a long time but i know just a little about your history there was probably an expectation not necessarily for you to be perfect but to achieve right oh, so yeah. oh sure so there was a you know the perfectionism is also about for many of us like i have to be this thing or whatever that is, it could be grades, it could be, you know, a sport, it could be whatever, because that's what keeps me safe, because that's what keeps me loved. Yes. So the perfection that often is coming up in adulthood was helpful to us. I'm putting this in air quotes. It could have been, it could have been difficult for us as a kid, but we felt it was helping us Mm -hmm. because it, we felt like it was helping us get love, Mm -hmm. but then we're using it in adulthood maybe to get love and it doesn't work. And I have my example of that. Sure. My parents used to fight, as I've shared on this podcast a million times, argue, and I used to get really scared, and it was really uncomfortable. So the only way for me to deal with it as an eight-year-old boy was to shut down, Mm -hmm. to not emote. Now I'm 51, and there's plenty of opportunities for me to emote, yet I'm still behaving as if, if I open up, I will die. Like I couldn't handle it when I was eight years old. So there's still this eight-year-old boy in me that's being stoic, being non-emotional because he thinks he'll die. So that one is like the eight-year-old boy is scared and is driving the bus when in fact there's this 51-year-old version of myself that knows that I'm completely safe to emote in front of my wife, my daughters, to be angry, to be sad, to be afraid. And I 
have a hard time, even though I know it, I have a hard time experiencing it. Well, just a slight tangent sure. from that for about you is we were having, because I was having so much emoting for the last couple of weeks and Todd... You weren't frustrated with me about the emoting, but some of the some of the things I was saying. Sure. And he was like, "No, you know, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here." But then when he would give me, uh, it, it wasn't really advice, but support. Mm-hmm. I a few times said, "That's not helpful to mm-hmm. me." And then his mentality is, "Well, if you're not gonna, if this doesn't help you, help you, then I'm gonna stop talking. I'm just gonna shut down." And I'm like, "Well, mm. my my comeback to my comeback. It sounds like we're like, but what I said to him is." it's okay that what you just said didn't help me, but instead of shutting down, maybe be curious about why it didn't help. Right. Like say, oh, that didn't help. So was it the words? Was it the, did it make you feel more stressed? Like, you know, what would be helpful right now? So what happens to me in that moment, because I remember exactly where we were, we were up in the bedroom. I said something, it didn't land well. You're like, well, that doesn't land well. (laughs) I shut down. If I'm being honest, what happens to me in that moment my scared animal shows up. Like I just get really scared. So when I get scared, I shut down. And your invitation, which is a good one and and something that I want to keep working on is like, instead of getting scared and shutting down, Todd, why don't don't you lean in and get more curious about, okay, let's talk about what I, how, what I just said didn't land well and how it landed with you. But instead I'm like, I'm out. Or shift the version, the, the, the big shift was instead of thinking about what can I say Mm -hmm. that, so I didn't say the right thing. Well, what's another thing I could say? What's another thing I could say? My thing is shift away from what you want to say and shift toward what do I need to hear? Mm -hmm. So you're becoming curious about me. I think, and again, looking at Millie, I think women are really good at this. Mm -hmm. I think women are constantly, and again, I'm being very general. I think men can be good at this as well. But I think we're always investigating Oh, I said something. It didn't land well. What what happened there? Or oh, or we sometimes text later and say, oh, I didn't let you talk enough, did I? You know, mm. we're constantly noticing what the other person is experiencing, generally. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes you were like, but yeah, what can I say that is helpful versus what did she? It's like this very subtle shift. It's a little weird though because I honestly thought what I was saying was something that you needed to hear. Now, it was the opposite of what you needed to hear, but I wasn't thinking, what do I need to say here? I honestly was trying to say things that would help you. Oh, of course. Right? Yeah, you always do. You're good. You're, you're like good. I'm, not, I'm not usually not saying things to harm, but I just, I can't, I, I don't know. I have chosen not to take that next step and lean in the way you asked. Right. And that's something I want to do. Well, and one more thing. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Millie. We're having this side com- commentary here. The, this is, um, remember when you were saying when we sit around at a table, the girls, our family, the five yeah. of us, and sometimes Todd can't get a, a, word, a word in, in yeah. because we're very talky, 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 talky. And we're like, yes, and this and this and this. And Todd's like, I always want to make a point and I can't because there's no space. So I said, instead of feeling the need to make a point... Ask a question about what someone just said. Mm -hmm. So we don't need any more input from you in that moment. And if you really notice the conversation we're having, we're not necessarily bringing in new information. JC will say, you know, and then I went to this place and I'll say, what was it like? And then she'll say, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what did it feel like? Like, I'm still curious about the things she brought in. I'm not bringing in anything new to the conversation. But sweetie, but then I'm depriving you guys of all my wisdom. (laughs) Okay. All right, we ready for step four? Uh, step Side four. Side combo. And then the next thing to do with anxiety is ground your senses. Feel your feet on the floor or maybe go out in nature, stand there with a tree, feel the roots of the tree and imagine your own feet as roots into the earth. 
And notice the wind comes and the storms and all those things happen, but the tree is rooted and it can stay there and you can be the same. You can let the storms of thoughts and fears and so forth arise. So that's another practice you can do. How many of us do something like that mm -hmm. when we're being paralyzed with anxiety? I don't. I mean, I usually don't. I don't either. It seems so... I think it's super, and if I can discipline myself to do that, I think it would be so helpful. But when I'm in it, I can't mm -hmm. remember, my brain shuts down. I'm in the back, the reptilian brain, right? So what do you do? I'm looking at Oh, I, I, I'm with you. I know intellectually that that's what I should do. Yeah. Just ground. I, could, I don't have to even go outside necessarily just to pause and be yeah. present and ground, but I... I don't. Mm -hmm. I just, I, I try to get through and survive yeah. that moment. Yeah. And then later on, I might, you know, re remember to go and ground. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's a big, I think like I'm hearing him and he's Jack Cornfield, So I believe him that he does that. I'm not mm. questioning, but that's something that I would hear a coach say to someone. And mm. I would be like, do you do that? Yeah, yeah I know. Because be, it sounds hard so ask. teachy. It sounds so like, it sounds, it's like when someone's like, you're really upset, take a deep breath and you'll feel better. It's true. But it's a big ask, and, and I feel like it becomes – so what I will say, I think if we can get a piece of that, like something that I do – and again, I think this is about me having an understanding of the, the energy that's moving through my body when I'm sad or anxious – is that I may not go ground and do the whole yogic thing and yeah. become a tree – but I do go outside mm -hmm. and I do. So like even yeah. as Todd. And I'm will, sure Jack would say, yeah, that's, yeah, you're doing that. Like mm -hmm. do, or mm -hmm. I'd roll down the window. Like if someone sneezes in our car, I roll down the window <laughs> because mm -hmm. I feel like there's an energy that needs to mm -hmm. move. Someone just released something big and I don't want it in the car. Now, everybody thinks I'm nutty or they're like, look, mom's going to roll down the window. But the girls do it without me now, too. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm done thinking you're nutty because we've been doing this a long time. But doesn't that make sense? Like if someone sneezes in the car, don't you want to release that? I mean, I'm looking at Millie. I'm making, I'm putting around. Do you roll down the window? I have somebody... not done that yet, yeah. but I just might start doing it. But <laughs> I, I will, if someone, I mean, especially now in the day of COVID, but if someone releases anything, right? I do notice and I'm, I do shift myself yes literally yeah I, uh, mm, so I, well, I don't know we become more conscious of that yeah, right we're like very conscious of it we yeah. are like did you wash your hands and yeah. you know people aren't wearing masks like they did but there is a sense of coughing and sneezing has a different component i've always viewed it as obviously germs mm -hmm. that's the basic scientific level but i also view it as being energetic it's emotion mm -hmm. it's like something you're letting go of and i don't really want to absorb that back in well what i'm realizing as i because i listen to this podcast i'm like this is really good and the reason i think i like it is because the way i like to learn is step by step yeah. and the way you like to learn is like i like bullet points kathy likes paragraphs that's mm -hmm. the best way i can describe it so this is like a framework and i'm just like realizing as jack is sharing his version of wisdom with with us like part of me is like i want to write this on a post-it note and next time i'm feeling anxious to do all these step-by-step -step things and i don't think you would ever do anything like that right sweetie like write it down on a post-it note so that you could remember how to do it it would be next to 80 other post-it notes about yeah. how to do it right. it's an integration of a lot of different things right. so no I, I don't go i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do this that's too schooly for me i would be i'd feel like i'm following someone else's pattern yeah but i would put it in the back of my mind like ooh, like there's sometimes things i've heard that have soothed me so much in a moment 
that, you know, like I'll be really feeling like the one thing that really soothed me and I have it everywhere. It's from years ago, but is about fear being like part of your darkness that you are so grateful for and that you want to hug and get to know it. Mm -hmm. And we can say that about anxiety too, Mara. That's kind of the whole point. But there was something, I have pictures in this office, up in my room and in my, the other office where Smokey is, that say that with little like, with a person hugging their fear. Like, Mm -hmm. because, this could sound so stupid, but fear scares me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I don't like to be afraid. And that's kind of my childhood is like, I felt like I was, maybe everybody did. Like, I don't want to be too unique here in that I was afraid a lot. Let me, let me write this down. Fear (laughs) makes you feel, fear is scary. That's that's what we're going to title this podcast. It is. And so then when you see like a little creeper, you know, in my mind of like fear, but then you're like, okay, you're actually part of me and you're trying to help me. It decreases the scary. Well, we're going to talk about the parts in a second and the parts the perfectionist the fear the anxious one because hmm. i'm gonna pull another thing in here in a second okay well, millie anything before i move on to the next one are you no t- but i i'm i'm a note yeah oh, I, I, you're I, worse I like than i am i know you well enough to know that you take more notes than i do <laughs> i was gonna say she's doing so much work over here and i want to be like oh, what no, did no, you no, just I'm, write down i'm no i'm writing down what you say so that i can just be reminded of what jack cornfield said okay um yes. no i'm a note i i would if i was given a um it, well inspiration in whatever form whether it's this or anything else i i would l- write it down so that do you <laughs> just have to get one somewhere. big word document where you have all your lessons of life somewhere or is it scattered i, I do have a couple of notes inside my phone that yes. i that i um add quotes to mm-hmm. and just learnings you know mm-hmm. from podcasts or whatever that i that i i i like to keep together Visit from time to time yeah. okay um, step five, here we go. Then you can question your thoughts. And this is more the beautifully spelled out by Byron Katie, for example, who has these practices of questioning your thought. Says, what if that thought isn't true? Yeah, How can you know that thought is true? And if you look deeply, you can't know it. And you get to a place of realizing that your thoughts are tentative. They're a creation and you say, thank you. Thank you for trying to protect me. And again, you become the witness of those thoughts. Sweetie, anything? Yeah, I, I would say that one, I, not only, you know, we, we, as you said, we talk about these things all the time. The thing I appreciate about that one is sometimes when I find myself going down a rabbit hole of thought where I think about something and then I'm like, and then this will mean this and this will mean this and then I'll have to do this. And all of a sudden I'm like in this huge, you can view it either as a tornado going up or as a rabbit hole going down. Either way, it's not great. That I actually have a much better practice of saying, I can scrap this whole thing because I just made it all up. Like instead of then being anxious about that, I really am like, or none of that's happening at all and I can just put it aside. I'm not saying the whole anxiety goes away, but I think the ability, I think a big part of self-awareness is noticing when you're reeling Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that really just being like, how did I get to this thought and recognizing that the first thought you had may have been based on something real. Maybe you saw something, read something, your kid said something. It may have been based on it, but you really don't know. And you've created a whole story. And I think the ability to say, I'm going to scrap this whole story. And you know where I practice that the most? And I will be honest, I haven't meditated in probably 
six days, seven days because it was too hard before Cameron was going. Because I was mm. like, I'm already way focused that when I would sit down, I would just cry. And I'm like, this isn't helping. But normally, if I sit in meditation, that's where I notice thoughts, 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 thoughts. And I'm like, I, because I'm in meditation, I get to scrap this whole thing. Mm -hmm. So you practice the ability to let go of that tornado. Then you try and take that into everyday life, which is a practice in itself. So that one, I think of everything you've said is the one that to me is really possible Mm. for all us beings. Got it. So you like step five. I do. Questioning your thoughts. I do. Uh, Millie, anything on step five? You know, I'm just thinking throughout throughout all these steps, um, self-awareness, which is what you guys taught me, what is it, 11 years ago? Mm-hmm. That, I, that, that this whole path of self-awareness, I feel like that is a theme through, through uh, awareness and self-awareness. But just being aware mm-hmm. is half the battle. Absolutely. So yeah. that, because I... I have said out loud, okay, I'm, help me step away from the ledge, you know, like I, I know I'm getting there <laughs> to the ledge. And so being aware that I'm, I'm there at the yeah. ledge is literally half the battle. Well, one of my teachers who wrote a book called 15 Commitments to Conscious Leadership, he said, you could throw my whole book away and the only two things you need to know is awareness mm. and acceptance. So if you can be aware of what mm-hmm. is and then accept yourself for whatever shows up, anxiety, fear, sadness, and accept that there's no set, there's no possibility of transformation without acceptance. Well, and to Millie's point, just to like really hammer that point, any of this work that we talk about is not possible unless you notice yourself. Yeah. It's why that work of even paint, like, you know, this can start with body work. Like, are, do you notice your hand tingling? Do you notice yourself? Like... We can be so lost in our thoughts. We can be so cut off, cut off from our bodies oh. that we really think that everything that we're thinking is exactly what's happening. Yeah. Or, you know, it, when we start to push it out, where we're like, the only reason I'm feeling or experiencing anything is because of you, yeah. mm-hmm. where we make it about someone else or the mm-hmm. circumstance versus the story I was just telling all of you about. You know, my daughter, when, you know, if I'm worried about her not telling me something, I'm stressed because of my history. Yeah. It's not because of her. And it requires um, curiosity, self-reflection. Yeah, to even, to even notice. notice. that this is not about my kid. This is about me when I was 10. And my clients will always say, but could it be about your kid? Well, sure. But mm. not to the level of terror right. that I'm feeling. The terror in my body is my history. Right. So you get a, a stimulus. Yes. And the stimulus is we're dropping our kid off at college. Correct. But if the reaction is 10 times what the stimulus is, that's when there's an opportunity to be like, oh, this might not just be about this thing. Right. What is, what is our um, AA thing? History is... Uh, your issues are in your tissues, that one? That, but there was another one that I always said, Shane is listening right now going, Kathy, it's this. You know which one I'm talking about. Hysterical is historical. Hysterical is historical. So like when, and we're not calling women hysterical. This is any human being. When you feel like you are up to 11, Mm -hmm. it can be triggered by the event in front of you. But the experience you're having is coming from an experience. It's something in you where you are now re-experiencing something from your history. And that is, and that goes on and on and on. Like I have thought a million times I have tackled that. I have dealt with that. And then another thing comes up and my body still 
it has the same system where my first reaction is my history. And that the work of even just noticing that, that to Millie's point is, I would even give it 75% of the, if we're going to call it a battle, because if you don't notice it at all, then mm -hmm. people are like, what are you talking about? Sweetie, did you say if they go up to 11? Uh-oh. Yeah. All the way up. You're on 10 on your guitar. Where can you go from there? Where can you go? Where? I don't know. Nowhere. Exactly. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Uh, put it up to 11. 11, exactly. <laughs> One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. <laughs> so that's... Um, all right. <laughs> Final step. You ready? Ready. Step six. Then a few more very simple things that you can do. You can find where you feel the anxiety most strongly in your body. And once you feel it, you can feel into its elements. Is it hot or cold? Is it hard or soft? Is it vibrating? The earth, air, fire. So you really get close into it. You can ask it what stories it tells because it'll have a story. And then you say again, not only thank you, thank you for trying to protect me, but you wrap it with kindness, with loving awareness and say, thank you. I know you're worried. I can respect you and hold you with kindness and compassion. And you know that that's not who you are. This is a part. It's something. It's common for human beings. You say, I respect this. And who I am is honoring you and so much bigger than who you are. And you feel yourself literally being both the witness, the grounded one, the I know you, Ma, I see you, Mara. And you become more the Buddha rather than the one who's caught by all these things. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I, I historically, you know, I love body work or somatic, you know, understanding when it comes to feelings. Um, and I used to, when the kids were really little, everything was in my sternum. Remember, Todd, I used to feel like so much pain in my sternum. Yeah. Um, it was pain. Like yeah. you couldn't touch it. And that was usually grief coming out. Hey, who knows? I don't want to act like I really understand everything. All I know is where I can feel mm -hmm. the pain. Now, interestingly, the grief that I've been experiencing the last couple of weeks is my back. Mm -hmm. It's my shoulders. So that's kind of new for me because I tend to be a gut chest person yeah. like it's either in my stomach or my heart so the back has been new for me mm -hmm. um and and i i i don't question it it's just that's where i'm feeling my well, where do you where do you get your do you where do you feel in your body your fear or whatever probably in my shoulders Shoulder. and and chest yeah yeah mm. And um, I'll pivot from fear over to sadness which is one that i've judged myself quite a bit as not having access to and that was i feel very blessed to say that i experienced sadness through tears a few days before we dropped off Cameron. So it didn't happen when we left her in Iowa City. Uh, instead, it happened three or four days beforehand. And I felt it in my throat. It started there and then went up to my face. And then I just started not wailing, but really having a nice, good cry. And it felt so... Like mm. when it was happening, I was so happy. So, but mm. I want to like, I, and I totally hear you. I don't want to like. Uh, Are you, you about know, to criticize my crying, yeah, sweetie? And yeah. I'm like, but did you do it this way? No, <laughs> I think it's beautiful that you were crying. But sometimes this is what I was talking about where you're like, it felt so good. It did. Okay. See, I don't feel Because you do it crying. all the freaking oh, okay. time. I'm envious of you. Because you have this openness about you. So the, you know, if I'm walking through the desert and I'm looking for water and then no water on day uh, one, no water on day 10, no water on day 50. And then on day 60, 
there's some water, I'm happy. The same way I've, I've cried, what, once in a year in the last few years? I've used to judge myself a lot more critically, but I still do a little bit. So when it was happening, I was like, was it, was, was I joyful? It, it did. I don't want to say it hurt. It's but like, you're talking about two different things. The mind is saying to you, I'm so glad that yes. I'm crying right now, but yes. it does. And, and I get you, you're yes. right. I cry all the time. <clears throat> and so the release, but I think I get frustrated about, I was sad and it felt so good. I'm like, no, sad doesn't feel good. You it can later it, feel. Yeah. It didn't feel good from the place it, it was happening in my throat and my tears. Yeah. That did, that felt uncomfortable. Like a vomit. It was a little bit of a vomit. There's another part of yeah. my brain, my body, something that was like, this is good. This is purposeful. So Millie, if you cried in front of your kids, would they be like, what's going on? Or do they? What type of frequency are you a crier in front of your I'm kids? I'm not, Millie? I don't, you know, I, unfortunately, I feel like, unfortunately, I don't cry in front of my kids enough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, Some nice judgment there. Some self-judgment. No, nice just, job. I mean, because I... Okay. Now, first of all, I wanted to say that I know, Todd, that you were just grateful that you were able to tap into yeah. that part of you. And that's what you meant by sure. feeling good. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, they, no way did it feel yeah. good, yeah. but that you were just grateful for right. it. You're going to want Millie to be here all the time. <laughs> She's going to be like, Todd. Yeah. This is what you meant. Exactly. Go ahead. Um, because the times that I end up feeling sad are not just, just it, they end up not being times when they're around. Yeah. There have been times where my eyes tear up a little bit and I'm thinking of something and and I will even say out loud oh I'm you know I'm thinking about your granddad and I'm you know I'm just feeling a little sad sometimes you know one kid actually my one son who is pretty empathetic he will say mom are you are you sad or are you, you know, he, he might notice you know the wet eyes or something but no most of the time they don't you know my kids don't notice so I don't know what the, you were just wondering why if I'm able to do this yeah. in front of my kids or, I would like to and more. I don't, <laughs> yeah and I don't even know if we need to be like look kids I'm crying like yeah. it's not a show mm -mm. I was modeling what you want your kids to do it it is but it also needs to be authentic to us True. like if people were like I need to cry and show no. my kids I cry then you, the, there's much more of an honesty about I, I struggle to cry or, you know, do you know, kids, you know, some of the, a lot of times when I cry, I don't do it around you. And I know that it would be okay if I did. Like there's, there is no way we're supposed to do anything. I was just wondering if Millie was like a crier with her kids because of something that's happening with her kids, or if it's more about you're struggling with it on your own, like, and, and you have your own cry and then they come back home from school or whatever. Yeah. I think the things that I end up getting emotional about it, you know, it comes at a time, you know, where I'm, I'm usually alone yeah. because it's got to be quiet. Yeah. Right. Um, and I'm reflecting. So well, they're and, just usually not around. So. Well, and I'll say, yeah, there's no should, sweetie. But if somebody no. is, I'll just make up an example, prohibiting themselves from crying in front of, I'll say a dad is, doesn't want to cry in front of his son because he thinks it's weak. I would mm -hmm. be like, that's probably not the best modeling. Let mm -hmm. me say this though. Um, you know how um, I'm going to use the vomiting thing again. Do you guys like vomiting in front of people? I don't. Like, you know, sometimes someone's nice enough to hold back my hair or whatever, but it's kind of a private, personal, like this feels really out of control. Yeah. Crying is the same thing. When we were at um, lunch, uh, one of our last lunches last week, when it was all of us and, you know, 
And I didn't like that it was one of our last lunches because I had been counting down all summer being like, we have so many lunches. We have so many brunches. We have so many dinners. So I didn't worry about it. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden we're literally on our last one. Yeah. And mm -hmm. we were at first watch. Yeah. Right. And I didn't have any plan to, but I started to cry. And it's not like crying is, it's not a movie. It's gross. You're like, you know, and I did feel uncomfortable for everybody that mm -hmm. I was having that reaction because everybody stops right? It's like you just threw up at the table. Yeah. It makes sense. Like everybody stops. So you're stopping the conversation from happening. Just so you know, I'm completely okay with you crying, whether it's in the kitchen or at a restaurant, but right. that doesn't mean the other four people that were at the table with us did. And, and that doesn't mean I am. Right. Because I think sometimes when we're like, Kathy, you cry all the time. I do, but it's sometimes like a commercial and I have tears and then we move on. A real grief cry oh, that's different. is mm. super uncomfortable sure. and you feel vulnerable mm -hmm. and um and i'll even use these words that we should weak mm -hmm. like i can't contain mm -hmm. out of control and you are just like showing your insides to everybody yeah. and then it's hard to bring it back because yeah. then everyone's like looking at you know it's why we don't so todd i agree with you that we shouldn't feel embarrassed but i for the criers out there um, you know, there is a piece of it's, there's a reason why we get uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? I do. Sorry. Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. <coughs> Poor Millie. She's choking on Kathy's speech about crying. I'm going to vomit. She's going to emotionally vomit. Um, this might be uh, a preview for next week's podcast. I also listened to an interview with Richard Schwartz. Richard Schwartz. Give me more information. IFS. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. IFS. And I feel like... Internal have, Family Systems. I have not yet read his book, but I think it's going to be the next book I read. I'm actually reading Outlive right now with Peter Attia. Yeah. But um, he, uh, I think he wrote a whole book on uh, internal family systems. And the way I experience the little bit that I know about his teaching is that there's these parts of us that we've talked about, the anxious one, the perfectionist, the joyful one, the angry one, the critic. And his whole teaching, as far as I can tell so far, is that there's all these little parts of us and it doesn't encapsulate any of us. And I just want to play this clip that he shared. And I think it would be kind of a good way to kind of encapsulate everything that we've talked about today. Great. All right this out because speaking as someone who's came very close to taking his own life this is a, a very very a very big lens swap for so just so so tim, so tim got coached or got went through a process with richard on tim's podcast okay. and he was really uh impacted by the line of questioning that richard led him through and said this is really powerful really good yes so now tim's just kind of follow doing a follow-up question after his process for someone who is suicidal or suffering from suicidal ideation. So it really does help to know that all these things aren't you. They're parts of you that are often are just trying to protect. So for me, there aren't alcoholics. There aren't, you know, I'm, I'm against all these monolithic labels because, yes, you've got a part that tries to protect you by getting you drunk all the time, but it's just a part of you. And it's one of your firefighters. And then most people don't realize that if they took away your drinking, suicide is the next one on the list, the next one on the ladder. And that would be jumping in, if not for the drinking. So then you got to honor the drinking part for keeping you alive. 
So I just love that clip because it's like, why would anybody be thankful if I'm an addict? Why would I be thankful for my drinking? And what he's saying is maybe the drinking is protecting you from doing something even worse to yourself. Well, that's kind of, you know, when we talk about addiction, it really is a reframe in that every addiction that we have was coping yes coping it was right. it was defensive it was a coping mechani- mechanism and a lot of times when it's something we stuck with it was working and again someone may say it's not working because the drinking was causing a problem with your relationships or the drinking was causing you to get up late for work but that's a lot better than suicidal ideation sure. in some you know or that's a lot better than dealing with the fact that i was abused that's a lot better than dealing with the fact that my parent is berating me like we're talking about levels of being able to survive and so then when it's why when you know when i talk to my social work students about addiction and rehab the the thing i always say is rehab is just like a that that's a there's a detoxing component and there's also tools that you're learning but you haven't started until you get home mm-hmm. because that's when you have to incorporate yeah. it's one thing when you ha- it's the same thing as if we take it off addiction and we talk about being on an inpatient unit or a partial hospitalization you're learning the tools you're surrounded but then you have to come home and integrate those and yeah. sometimes we have you know connections where you go back and forth to the hospital so you you don't have to do it too quickly um but you have to learn how to incorporate these things and they aren't, you know, it's funny. I'm, I was just telling Millie upstairs that I'm watching Painkiller, which is um, about opioids. Yeah. And, um, you know, all these people who became addicted to opioids because their doctors gave it to them because this Purdue told the salespeople to say it wasn't addictive. I mean, it's just this long line of blame. And these people who they're addicted to these pills and everybody's like, get off them, get clean, get. And it's like they... They can't, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a, there's this, first there's the level of using them and why it's for pain. And then it's now my body can't survive without Without this. So we could say that with a lot of coping mechanisms, Todd, your body feels like it can't survive without shutting down. Sure. Yeah. And, and that's why I need to, (laughs) instead of judge myself or ostracize the numb one or the stoic one, say to it that it's here to protect protect me and he used in that clip the term firefighter yeah. and I, I think what he means by firefighter there are these parts of us it's an ifs ter- terminology that yeah. come to put out a fire the problem is most of the time they they come in a sideways fashion or not the best it's not it's usually not the best way to fight that fire well there may not be a fire there may not even be a fire it's to just fight. It thinks there is. It's a made-up story. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So anyways, um, yeah, and I just want to keep exploring uh, Richard Schwartz uh, because I think that I really appreciate how he helps people. I think it it falls in line with how I want to show up. I think IFS has been a very good – people have been pulling pieces from it forever. But I think just the understanding that we're parts – Yes, just that. Is it gives us – it's very similar to what – you know, when we talk about Buddhism or when we talk about mindfulness is that this is just a thought. Mm -hmm. This is not you. When we talk about uh, emotional agility, you know, Susan David's work, this is just a feeling you, you know, I am feeling sad. It's not, I am am sad. sad, Like it's trying to remember um, that we are. And so then people say, well, what's the core of us? Mm -hmm. Where, where do we begin? And Mm -hmm. here's the mystery, right? This is where it gets a little, you know, dicey, (laughs) you know, like what, 
what is the essence of us? Then? Well, I, that's what I, I was going to use the word essence. Like we are, when we're born, we're essence, we're love, we're God, we're universe or whatever. And then we just start carrying these bags. Right. Through our experience what, of being human. And what is that? What like, is love? We, no, no, no. <laughs> Todd, what, what is, is love? love? Oh, no. <laughs> He's going to play it. No, you know he is. No, um, so <clears throat> do you, do you feel like, I want to have you talk, but do you feel like you can talk? With your throat? I think so. Okay. No, yeah, no, I can't. I can't. Okay. Um, yeah, no, the firefighter analogy I thought was was interesting. But actually, I was taking notes throughout that I feel like a lot of these concepts come back to awareness, acceptance, curiosity, curiosity, and gratitude. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. It's a great roadmap for living. Uh, yeah. Boom. boom. And you know, the gratitude one, you know how we were saying before about, you know, in the moment we're, you know, we're grateful that sadness comes up or whatever comes up. Um, gratitude is something you, it's, it's helpful to practice in the moment when you're having anxiety or whatever, and you can say, I'm grateful for this. But I think gratitude can also be a hindsight practice that still strengthens it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, a hindsight practice practice becomes like lifting weights for the next time that it occurs. I'm saying this only because, again, when I'm sad, I, it's very hard for me to be like, yeah, but I'm grateful I'm sad. I, I, I feel like there's a little bit of a bypassing in the mm-hmm. moment, whereas let's be sad and, and just have this out, have this vomit that's so uncomfortable, and then as you usually, especially after we have a good cry, we feel a little lighter. And then being like, you know, that's when I can jump to, you know, grief is love. Yeah. Like grief is, that's the love I feel for my daughter. I don't, you know, I miss her. Or, you know, uh, you know, sadness is, or anger is my way of recognizing my boundaries have been crossed. All those things. But it's hard to, some. I feel like gratitude is really helpful for me at night when I go through the day. How do you use it? <clears throat> no, but just like you said, I think it's, it's after the fact. I, I think... There's no way that in the moment that I am be, I am grateful for the sad, for the fear, for the whatever. Right. So that's why I think I went in that order too. It's like first thing is you're aware yes. of that sadness, the fear, the anxiety. You, then you accept it. Yeah. And then you get curious about why you were fearful. Yeah. Or, what are the? What does this emotion what, what have to this, teach me? Yes. And then and then in the end, you know, whatever whatever it is that. You know, you, that you're grateful that it showed up, whether it's there to protect you or <clears throat> or um, it's there for you to, I don't know, discover something else about yourself, right, um, or that relationship. And But yes, definitely the gratitude comes to me. It comes later. Well, <laughs> I'm not grateful for it in the moment necessarily. Well, that's interesting. Like the way I teach emotions, the model that I was taught, which is great, um, all these emotions, sadness, fear, anger, joy, let's say... Um, we got to, you got to feel, you got to notice them, you got to feel them, you got to express them, but there's some wisdom on the other side mm-hmm. of each of these emotions mm-hmm. and sadness, something needs to be let go of fear <clears throat> means something needs to be known that is not known. Um, anger is there's a boundary that's been crossed. Joy means something needs to be celebrated. Like, mm-hmm. but we need to, I need to go through it and then get curious about what it's here to teach me. Mm-hmm. Well, and this is what, you know, ever, you know, you all know I'm infatuated with um, talking about or reading about or understanding cults or high control groups or even cliques and how, you know, human behavior and how we get involved. And the reason why I am so interested 
besides my own personal experiences, one of the things they take from people is self-trust, meaning that you're basically told this is your fault or what you're feeling you shouldn't be feeling or this there's a gaslighting component. This can be true in an abusive relationship mm-hmm. too. So if you lose self-trust, those four things you just said are very difficult mm-hmm. because you're like, well, I don't really have an awareness. Tell me what's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't, you don't, that's, I had to work kind of back from that. Like, you know, being in experiences where I was depending on, you know, people to tell me, you know, this is what you're experiencing in body work. This is what you're feeling. This is what you can do. This happens with people who get way into astrology. I believe in astrology and the bigger picture of it. But if we're following a guide that somebody else is giving us, then these four things that Millie said, they're very hard to tap into because you don't, you're like, wait, am I feeling this? Mm -hmm. So what I find is when I listen to people's experiences who have come out of high control groups or have been very focused on a religious group or or like I said, an abusive relationship, their work is really to gain back that I trust what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't, then you can't, all of these things, you can't be grateful for it because then you don't even trust that what came up was a good thing for you. There's such a core component there. No doubt. You know, Um, so anyway. All right, so we are going to close shop here. I want to say thanks to Millie (laughs) Shee for joining us today. I'm going to give you a- Thank you guys. Boy, what a surprise. (laughs) Thank you, Millie. Yeah, gonna, initially, but, we were like, we'll bring you oh, on for five minutes. Yeah, yeah, we're just bringing you in for the thing. <laughs> I want to thank Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald head of beauty. If you live in Chicago and you need any type of home improvement project, uh, painting, remodeling, give him a call, 630-956-1800. Um, don't forget about Team Zen. If you want to see Millie on Team Zen, <laughs> join Team Zen. That'll 20, be our new tagline. Come meet Millie. Come meet Millie. <laughs> 25 bucks a month. Cancel at any time. Um, and as far as the title of this podcast, sweetie, it's either going to be six steps to lessen anxiety or fear is scary. Mm. Fear is scary. Fear Quote is unquote scary. by Kathy Kasani. I know, Adams. it's a deep one. And instead of our regular music uh, taking us home, we're going to let Milk sing a little black sheep. Nice. Mm. Um, so thank you, Millie. Oh, thank you guys. This we'll, was fun. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have appreciated or enjoyed a decade of Zen Parenting Radio podcasts, please tell a friend or leave a five-star review. We are grateful for your support. If you want more Zen Parenting, consider joining Team Zen Circle, our very own app that includes our virtual community, exclusive content, and support from us. You could also purchase Kathy's award-winning book, Zen Parenting, Caring for Ourselves and Our Children in an Unpredictable World or subscribe to Zen Parenting Moment. You can find these opportunities and more at zenparentingradio.com slash resources. And if you want to connect through social networking, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Keep trucking, and we'll talk to you again next week.